The walls of the city of Jerusalem were mere rubble. This news made Nehemiah very sad. So Nehemiah began to rebuild. He led the people day in and day out. Enemies attacked, but they overcame. God helped them finish the work in only 52 days. The Jews who had once been in captivity now returned home. Change your world in 52 days. The story of Nehemiah. Good morning. Welcome to Southridge Baptist Church. We're excited to have you here. I hope you had a great week. Looking forward to continuing our series entitled Change Your World in 52 Days. And we are right in the middle of this series. And that's kind of like the time that my wife and I went to watch the movie The Hobbit. And she has no clue, Lord of the Rings series. The only reason I got into it was I kind of got into books in high school, required reading, that type of thing. And so we're watching it, but we watched kind of like right in the middle of the second one. And uh, we're sitting there, and she has no clue what's going on. And the whole time, she's kind of like, so what's happening now? And what's this all about? And the whole time, I'm like, just, we're too deep into it. Just watch it, and I'll explain it on the way home, you know? So if you're jumping in the series right now, you're going to kind of seem a little bit lost, and I'm going to do my best to catch you up. We're going kind of verse by verse to the study of Nehemiah. And this is a passage of Scripture where God used an ordinary cupbearer, a butler, to to kind of change his world. He goes back to Jerusalem, and he's going to help rebuild this wall, which is just kind of an incredible feat. And even more incredible was the fact that they did it in only 52 days. You say, why is that such a big deal? Well, 150 years prior, when the first Israelites went back to Jerusalem after their captivity in Babylon... They didn't do anything for 70 years. And then a guy by the name of Ezra, he goes back and he kind of gets the temple going and they kind of work on the temple. But the rest of the city, nothing happens. So for 150 years, nothing really happens. But then in 52 days, the wall in the city goes up. It's incredible. So we're studying this character. And last week we talked about be bold like a butler. And we said, if we're going to go into this year, 2015, and there's some, there's some decisions you've made. There's some resolutions you've made. It's going to take some boldness on your part. And we kind of talked about what boldness was. It's building our lives in daily dependence on God. That's what true boldness is. We can be bold as we are building our lives on Jesus Christ. And so this week, we kind of want to jump back into it. But this morning's message is going to be one that it's um, a little bit different in the sense of the way I want to approach it. Because through life, um, sometimes we, we question whether or not we will face any challenges. We wonder, will, will I go through challenges in life? And the question shouldn't be, will I? The question should be, when I go through challenges. There's not a person here who says their life is problem-free. I don't care how much money you have in the bank, you still have problems. I don't care how perfect your spouse is. And husbands, that's a good time to say, yes, honey, you are perfect. And I don't care how perfect they are. You're still going to have problems. I don't care how great your job is. You could be the CEO. You could be the owner. You could be the founder. It's still going to have its problems. You can have beautiful family. You're still going to have your problems. You can drive a Ferrari. You can drive a Tesla. You could drive any car you want to drive. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to have challenges. So the question isn't whether or not I'm going to. It's when you do. What's your not reaction, but what's your reflex? You say, what do you mean my reflex? 
Come on, we've all been to the doctor, and he pulls out that little weird little hammer, and you're sitting there, and he kind of taps your knee, and when we were really little, we didn't know what was happening, and we just see our knee move, and we don't know how the knee moved. He just took the little hammer, and all of a sudden, it kicks. I remember when that first happened to, like, Megan. She started giggling. She just thought it was the funniest thing, and then she was like, do it again. That was awesome. My, knee, my leg just kicked, and I didn't do anything, because why? The reflex kicked in. You and I have a reflex about situation challenges, whether you know it or not. And oftentimes, if we're married or maybe we're dating or maybe we have a close friend, they know our reflex better than we know our reflex. I'll talk to my wife and she says, do you know when you get upset when you drive the car, you always, and I'll say, what do you mean I always? She says, yeah, you just always, you know, uh, you speed up, you get right on their tail and you kind of, and then I have to remind you, you're a pastor of a church and then, you know, and it's kind of have to calm down a little bit. I have a reflex. When something bad happens, you have a reflex. It's a reflex to yell, maybe, or to scream. It's a reflex to say, no, I'm going to go to my happy place with some chocolate. Or maybe it's a reflex to say, I just need to be by myself. Or maybe it's a reflex to say, hey, I just need to go work out. All of us have this reflex. Because life is going to be faced with these challenges. But what is our reflex? And the question is, I bet some of us, if we were honest, we would say, my reflex in a difficult situation isn't the best. I push away people that are very close to me. I push away people that I love. I blame people that had nothing to do with this situation. And instead of saying, hey, it's work, the stress at work, I take all that stress and I pour it out on my spouse or my children. And that's a bad reflex. Or maybe you're a student and you're going to school and the bad reflex is, oh, I can't handle all this pressure. I'm not going to study and I'm just going to cheat on the test. And we just have a bad reflex. Well, this morning, I want us to look at Nehemiah's reflex, his reaction. Because life is going to have its challenges. It is going to have its problems. And and one way to put it is like this. We all go through a dip in life, all right? There starts everything, and it starts off great. When I got married, everybody was like, enjoy the honeymoon. Enjoy that time, because once the honeymoon ends, real life kicks in and they say that real deep ominous voice and you're like what do you mean real life kicks in you know and they just they, they say that or something or they did it when 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 you're married and you're enjoying that time just you and your wife and they say wait till you have kids because then real life and i'm like wait a minute i've heard this before you're just a different person i i think i know this it's like they're just like once you have one wait till you have two and then you know nobody's ever like can't wait to get a second one a third one you know and i you know it just gets worse but they know something they know there's this dip they know everything starts off great remember we're in a relationship it's perfect they're perfect you're perfect you are always perfect of course and it's just kind of like everything's going great you're in love and it's fantastic but then all of a sudden you hit that point where you have that first argument and then it kind of seems like once a month you'll have an argument then every other week and then you're lucky to go a day or two without an argument you're like what's the matter we used to have the best relationship or maybe your job started off great. You loved your job. You couldn't wait to get that job. You fought for that job. And as soon as you got it, you're like, it's a perfect job. My boss was perfect. Everybody's perfect. What I do is perfect. I mean, even though I'm doing a job that was on dirty jobs, I don't care. It's still a perfect job. But then you go a year or two, you don't get the promotion. You don't get the raise. You don't get the respect. And all of a sudden, that job, it's not as perfect. Why? Because you just hit a, hit a dip. You're in the dip. Um, spiritually, when you first ask Christ in your heart, Man, it was awesome. It was like, 
open up the Bible, and it was just, wow, I never wanted to read a book before, but here I'm reading the Bible, man. This is pretty awesome. Like, uh, the Bible, it's, I, I'm, in, I, I'm in the book of Job. I mean, I didn't even know Job was in there, you know, and this is a great book, you know, Job. It's awesome, you know, and then Palms. I love Palms. That's a really good book, too, you know, both great books, and then all of a sudden, you go a little while, Christian, and some of you that have been saved a while, you know this. You're praying, but you feel like, is anybody upstairs listening? You're reading your Bible, and, and you're reading Job, not Job, and you're reading Job, and you're not getting the same stuff out of it like you were before because you've hit a dip. So you've hit this challenge. You've hit this dip. You've hit this difficult time. And so how do we navigate that, Christian? Because it's going to happen because dip happens. It just does. Touch your neighbor. Dip happens. It just happens, all right? So you just watch out. It's just going to come. Whether you realize it or not, whether you expect it or not, it's going to happen. So we're going to look at this passage. And it's kind of long, so you bear with me, okay? Chapter 3 of Nehemiah. We're going to read just a few verses and we'll jump into it, okay? Verse number, chapter 2, verse number 9. We'll start in verse 10. Excuse me. It'll be up on the screen. It'll be in your worship guides. I'll begin reading. The Bible says, when Sam Ballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, and they heard of Nehemiah. He's come to the city. And he said, when they heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And I love that. Welfare or meaning somebody who, who cared about the city. It bothered them that somebody cared. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of the problems that you're going through, it's because you care. Aristotle said it best. You don't want to be bothered. Do nothing, be nothing, accomplish nothing, and nobody will, everybody will just leave you alone. But the moment you step out and say, I'm going to do something, the moment you said, 2015, I'm going to do something different, I promise you, uh, my wife does it. She'll say, hey, we're going to change our eating plan. And I'm like, what do you mean? I like what we eat. What do you mean we're cutting out trans fat and no more gluten? And I kind of like gluten. And I kind of like those potato chips. I don't want the organic stuff. It just doesn't taste the same, you know? And she's like, no, no, we're changing. We're going to be healthy. We want to live to be uh, 200. And I'm like, I don't want to live to be 200. You know, I, I don't really care. You know, I just want to die young, make a pretty corpse. That's me. All right. So it's just kind of one of those things where really, and I'll fight the change. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're the only person in your family that says, I still go to church. Maybe you're the only person that says, I still want to have a good marriage. And all your friends criticize you like, what do you mean you don't ever consider being with somebody else? What do you mean you don't flirt with other people? What do you mean you're just one of those one person for your whole life kind of people? Really? Isn't that kind of old? I, I, I thought that was like something they did way back in like, you know. 1980s or something, like way back then, you know? And so, you know, I, I thought that's old-fashioned. And here, Nehemiah is that person who says, no, I care. The Bible says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. It's kind of like a personal journal of Nehemiah. And he says, I arose in the night and I came, some few men with me, and I didn't tell any man that what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode on. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung poured and viewed the walls of the Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And Jerusalem knew not whither I went, and the rulers didn't know where I went, nor what I did. Neither had I yet told them, the Jews, nor the priest, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. 
Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. We studied last couple weeks ago that reproach means disgrace. We don't want to be a disgrace anymore. Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And notice verse 19. So the whole, so Nehemiah, he was the first one. It starts with one. And he encouraged an entire city to rise up and to do something for God. And you're going to be by yourself. Maybe you're going to make some decisions this year. And maybe your whole family's not going to do it. But here you're going to rise up. And you're going to make a great decision. Your decision is, hey, you know what? We're going to have more family time. You know what? We're going to have more time with just the spouse. We're going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to change some things in our personal habits. We have some habits that need to change. And so you're going to make some great decisions. You're going to be by yourself, and you may be able to stir some others to help join you. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was by himself, but then the whole city says, hey, we're with you together to build up this wall. And then notice what happens. As soon as the city is all excited, as soon as the city says, yes, we are going to go do this together. As soon as that happened, notice this. In verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Gresham the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use this passage of scripture. I pray that you'd help us now as we are going to prepare ourselves for the obstacles and the challenges that are going to face us this year. I pray that we would take some lessons from the life of Nehemiah and that we would go into this year changed and ready for it, ready for the the onslaught that Satan's going to try to bring and sometimes just others that'll try to bring against us. And I pray that you would use this message we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to do something real quick, all right? I need everybody just to stand up. And I, I know you got comfortable. I know you got your coffee, you got your donut. But you need to stand up just for a second, okay? Because I know those seats are really comfortable. And I know it gets warm. And I know what happens. My golden, melodious radio voice just kind of puts you... No, it doesn't really. But sometimes we can get sleepy. But we got some people here and we need to greet one another. So I want you to do this, all right? I want you to find three people and greet them. But you have to leave your row. You have to leave. Can't stay right there. And I know you're kind of got comfortable but right now take a couple moments greet somebody tell them hello tell them hi tell them you're glad they're here tell them you like their shirt something about them just greet them what's up man how's it going good to see you how are you happy birthday good to see you how are you good to see you how are you doing good to see you All right, hopefully you were able to greet somebody, tell them hello. Once you get a good greeting, a hug, a handshake, go ahead and find your places. Find your places. It's going to be a great day. I'm excited about the Word of God this morning. I hope you are. And once you find your place, you can be seated. You don't have to stand anymore. It's good to just kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. It's going to be a wonderful day. In the Century 20 theaters. I love it. It's great. God is good. Who knew you could have church in a theater? It's awesome. All right. Once you find your places, I, I've got, a, I, I got an interesting title for this message. It's the most encouraging message you've never heard. 
And at first, it's, this isn't going to seem like a very encouraging message. The book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So this may seem at first like, man, it's kind of messed up. It's kind of mean. But understand, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Once we get to the end, you'll see that this really is the most encouraging message you've never heard. And I'm going to start out by saying, our faith needs a good fight. Right from the get-go. Our faith needs a good fight. You've got to understand something. Too often today, we feel like if I have a challenge in my life, that means I'm, I'm doing something wrong. You're going to face challenges whether you're doing something wrong or right. You're going to face challenges. But here's the reality, though. Challenges aren't there to break you, but to build you. And your attitude toward the challenge really affects how the challenge changes you. And that's the goal. That when you're confronted with a challenge, that it changes you for the better. And so this morning, Christian, as you hear me say that your faith needs a good fight, you need to understand that that's how your faith gets stronger. You don't get stronger. And here's the, here's the problem we make, okay? When we were young, we didn't have to do anything to grow. Remember that? Remember, we, we would just stand there and our parents would hold us up and say, oh, you grew two inches this summer. And we didn't have to do anything to, to gain muscle. We just kind of played outside when we were little kids. And growth just kind of happened naturally. But then once we got into college, we understood something that I've got to study. You know, high school, I could kind of, kind of wing it, you know. But in college, if I'm going to get this degree, I've got to really work at it. And for some of you, you say, well, I, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get in good shape. And I want to have some actual muscles, not two bee stings on my arm. And so you, you understand that I've got to go to the gym. And I've got to work those muscles. And as you do that, you see strength developing. Because why? Just like your muscles, you need to build those. They need to fight. But don't think, Christian, that once you trust Jesus Christ coming to your heart and he's there that you're just naturally growing there is some part on you and the part is that we grow when we face obstacles I was talking to my mom this week and my mom just got on Facebook which is an amazing feat my mom's on Facebook now you should follow her I don't know if she's actually put a status update on there but I follow her and friend friend her Twitter's follow and so but we were talking and I was actually asking her hey mom you need to you have Facebook but but you need to put a picture on there she said no no no. I got it so I could look at pictures of Megan and Austin and the grandkids I don't want to put anything on there I said no no no. it's a two-way street you know you gotta that's you gotta put something on it put a verse put a picture you know a crazy face just do something you know and uh, so we were talking I was talking about life and she said Micaiah she said something really profound she said life is what it is it's not what it should be life is what it is it's not what it should be that car accident yeah you shouldn't have got in it yeah that shouldn't have happened the loss of a family member yeah that shouldn't have happened but life is what it is and it's to build you it's to make you stronger it's to make us better I said this would be the most encouraging message, and I know right now you're like, oh, man, I need, like, some Percocet or something, man. You need something to pick me up. This is, like, not working for me or something. I know. We're going to get there. And here's Nehemiah. He's in a mess, folks. The city walls are down. He's got three guys that he hadn't met, and then in one chapter, they've already threatened him, and those are the, the governors of that area. They've come against him. They've threatened him, and I want you to see his reaction to the threat and to the challenge because these guys, they lead armies. These guys are threatened by Nehemiah. They have power. They have influence, and they're going to do everything from chapter 2 to chapter 6 to stop the work. 
I mean, they're going to threaten him. They're going to threaten to tell king, the king what he's doing and to get work to stop. They're his enemies. But I want you to notice how Nehemiah responds to him. And please write this down. First of all, it's easy to act like a Christian. It's harder to react like a Christian. Notice verse number 19. Here's, here's what the Bible says in this passage. We see that they, they came against Nehemiah. And I have to flip over there real quick. So Sam, Ballot, Tobiah, the Horonite, they came against him. And then in verse number 19, they tell him, hey, they started laughing at him, mocking at him, criticizing him. They said they despised us. They hated them. And then Nehemiah, notice how he answers them. He said, basically, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no portion. You have no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. He wasn't mean. He wasn't biting. He just said, hey, look, we've got a job to do. I'm going to do it. His reaction as he had just been mocked and ridiculed was just to say, not a problem. I'm just going to keep doing what I know I need to be doing. I'm just going to keep on going. It's been said that ridicule is the weapon of those who have no other weapon. And here, Sam Ballot and these enemies, they're going to criticize, first of all, the Israelites and their sensibility. Like, what are you doing? Why would you even want to build up the wall? This is crazy. You're dumb. You shouldn't be doing this. And this year, you probably set some goals. You probably had some family meetings where you said, this year, this is what we're going to do. And everybody else is going to kind of scratch their head and say, that's retarded. Why would you do that? 11 months ago, my wife and I were reminiscing, this Sunday is our one-year anniversary. 11 months ago, we were, we were like, ah, oh, we're going to have church. People would ask, where are you going to have church? In a theater. And people were like, why would you do that? Because there's no else to place to meet. So kind of better, my living room wouldn't fit everybody. So, you know, and that'd be cool, but it just wouldn't work, you know. And people said, your sensibility, something's off. And people may criticize, what are you thinking? You may have people that they don't understand why you go to church and why you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're questioning your sensibility. But Nehemiah didn't stop. He just kept on going, but they didn't just stop at his sensibility. They questioned their ability. And I'm going to jump ahead and read a verse. You don't have to. In Nehemiah chapter number four, they're seeing this wall go up. So notice what one of the guys says. He says this. He's, and this is um, kind of a weird way to kind of make fun of somebody. But he said in chapter four, verse number three, now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox goes on the wall, the fox will break down the wall. He's questioning their, not only their sensibility, but their ability to actually do it. He's saying, hey, they're, they're mocking them. I mean, try that. You know, somebody at work makes fun of you. Oh, yeah, well, a fox will go on your work, and it's going to mess it all up. You know, I don't know if it really worked today, but back then, I guess it's a big insult. And so he, he, he insults him with a fox, you know, and it's something about a fox. And, and he insults him. And here's this little fox. Imagine a fox isn't big. It's the size of a small dog. They weigh less than 20 pounds. They're not real big. And there's a fox. And he's saying, hey, you guys are so incompetent. Something 20 pounds is going to break down your wall. He's questioning their, their ability. And sometimes people are going to look at you and say, no, nope, you don't have the ability. All of your family are alcoholics. You're going to be an alcoholic. All of your family got divorced. All of them had affairs. None of them kept it together. So are you. It's in your blood. You don't have the ability. Oh, you, you're going to try to break out of that environment? No, we're, we're all just, this is what we do. You know, we're, we don't really, we're just kind of, we're not going to ever break out. We're just, this is what we do. We're just kind of, you know, average. We're, 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 we're never going to seek higher positions. We're never going to work harder. We're never going to break out of this. No, no, no. Uh, that's what we are. It's what we're going to stay. We're just going to stay here. And they're going to question your ability. 
There are the people that say, oh yeah, I heard you want that promotion. You're never going to get it. I love it when people tell me what I can't do. I don't know about you, but it just kind of, please tell me what I can't do. Like, please do it. That just gets me fired up. I may not still be able to do it, but at least I'm going to try with more tenacity, more ferocity, because I believe that if God has put a dream and a burden inside of you, the how is not up to me. Remember that from last week? How is not up to me. How is up to God? The what? I'm just supposed to do it. Nehemiah didn't question whether or not they could do it. He just said, we will do it. They never said, oh, yeah, you're right. Wow, yeah, yeah, get a fox. Hey, guys, we need a fox. We built this little pit of the wall. Get a fox. Let's see if this thing's going to hold up. They didn't do that. They said, no, we built it right. We did it right. And I wanted to challenge you this year as somebody's going to question your ability to do right and to change your family and to change your marriage and to change your family situation and to change your work situation and to change your neighborhood and make that change that you so desperately want. This is the year, and they're going to question your ability. And I'm going to tell you what. They're going to be right about questioning our ability unless they factor God in the equation. Because once you factor God in the equation, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. The ability's not in me. It's in him, but he's in me. So therefore, I have the ability to do it. It's not based on me. It's based on him. So they criticize, first of all, their sensibility and then their ability. But then notice this. Haven't you... Haven't you realized that God likes to use the different to make a difference? I just, as, I, as I study, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground, and I know I may seem like I'm all over the place in this passage because I've got to go from chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. And in chapter 3, it's a weird text. I was like, how can I get a message out of this? Because all it is is name after name after name and what they built. It mentions people here. It mentions Eliashib. He's the high priest. It mentions um, this guy by the name of uh, uh, Meshulam. And first of all, I didn't want to pronounce all these names. Mispronounce them is probably why I didn't want to go over it in real depth. But it's got all these names and what they did and what they built. Matter of fact, there's one, one person in here. It was him and his daughters did it. Him and his daughters built up that section of wall. And I thought that was awesome. That scripture mentions it was his father and his daughters built up the wall. And then there's this other guy. His name is uh, Malchiah. Malchiah, God uses him to build up a section of the wall. And we're going to deal with that in a little bit. But they were challenged. But God said, hey, I'm going to take some people that everybody else kind of marginalized. Everybody else kind of passes over. Everybody else that you didn't get picked first on the team. And I've talked about that. You know, you're standing there playing dodgeball. And, and you're waiting to get picked. And you don't get picked. And, and you're all upset that you're the last one to get picked. And maybe some of you feel like that, that I feel like God's picking everybody else, but he's not picking me. I feel like I'm watching all my friends get married, but I'm not getting married. I feel like I'm watching all my friends have babies, and I'm not having kids. And I see all my friends, they're going on on, on, on great dates, and their husbands love them. And I, I don't see that in God, what's happening. You feel a little bit like I, I'm getting left out here. God knows your name. God knows where you're at. God knows what he's going to do in that circumstance as you're faced with a challenge. As you're faced with God, how come you're picking everybody else but you're not picking me? I'm going to tell you this morning that God has picked you. He will pick you. But on the flip side, how many of you, you were the person that you got to pick the teams? Any of you in here, you got to pick the teams? Anybody in here? There's a couple of you. I don't like you people, whatever. No, no, I'm just kidding. You never picked me. But I want you to understand that they were criticized. They were criticized their sensibility, their ability. They were even criticized their authority to do it. You see, when they first came back and Ezra came back, they didn't have any authority from the king. When Zerubbabel came back, the king didn't give him any authority. And this is going to kind of segue into the next passage. Please write this next part down. 
First of all, I said it's easy to act like a Christian. It's harder to react like a Christian. Number two, our reaction is who we are when we're not acting. That's the true you, the real you. Our reaction is who we are when we're not acting. That's what just comes out. When you yell and scream or you react in an abrasive way or you yell at the coworker, or you get mad at the kids or the spouse or you get upset at the car next to you, that's the real you. It's just coming out. Because the Bible says that the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That, that what's inside is going to come out. What's inside? Inside of, this water, inside of this water bottle is water. I'm not going to splash it around and out hope, hope some Dr. Pepper comes out. It's not going to happen. Dr. Pepper's not in here. That'd be awesome. I wish I had that gift to take water bottles and turn it into Dr. Pepper. That amazing gift. But God didn't bless me with that gift. But I want you to understand your life. You can't say, well, I, I haven't been putting anything good in and expect good to come out. Until Christ comes in and does a work inside of you. So our reaction is who we are when we're not acting. But I want you to understand something. When Nehemiah left the king, when he talked to king, the king, Xerxes, he said, I need letters. And the king made Nehemiah the governor of Jerusalem. That's what the king made him. When Nehemiah arrives on the scene, and this is what we typically do when we get a new job or a new promotion, we're quick to tell everybody, I got the job. I'm your boss. That's the first thing we kind of do is, I'm the new leader, I'm in charge, listen to me. But Nehemiah, he shows up and for three days, he just rests. And then after that, at night, he goes and he surveys everything. And then he goes to the rulers and he doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, here's my paper, here's the ring, I have the authority, I have the power. You have to listen to me by power of the king. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say anything. Matter of fact, he says, hey, this is what we need to do. This is what we should do. Are you guys on board? And they say, yeah, we agree. You see, the true leader, I believe, and this is a segue, will always rise to the top. The true leader always will. You don't, have to get, you don't have to question who's the leader. You know who the leader is. The leader is that one that just stands out. They're just that one, Jack Welch, the famous uh, CEO of General Election. He said, there's always that guy that just kind of climbs out of the pile at work, and everybody knows he's the leader. Whether he has the title, the paycheck, whether he has the car, whether he has the parking spot, he is the leader. He just leads people. That's them. They just have that innate gift. Nehemiah was the guy that didn't have to say, hey, I need extra medals. I need to wear a special coat. I need to have a special ring. I need to have a special staff. He was the leader, but he didn't have to wear and carry that around or abuse that. You see, Nehemiah just knew who he was. You see, but though, even though he was faced with these challenges, he considered the past more than the problems. He said, what do you mean he considered the past more than the problems? You're going to face some challenges this year, and I want you to understand that each time Nehemiah faced a challenge, he would always revert back to what God had done in the past. He talked about how God had prospered him, how God had taken care of him, how God had led him, and he even told the children of Israel, he said, our God, he will prosper us. Did you know when Ezra, in Ezra, um, the book of Ezra came back, says we need to build up the temple, he said the exact same thing to the people. He said, our God will prosper us. It's the exact word for word verbatim of what Ezra said. He was going back and he said, hey, that's what Ezra did to build up the temple. I'm going to use the same thing. He referred back to the past to face his his problems. Not only did he do that, but I want you to see he cared more about his purpose than his position. He's the governor. He's got the authority. He's got the power, but he cared more about his purpose than his position. I've made the mistake early on, and some of you that have been married for a while, you'll laugh at this. The Bible in Ephesians says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. We'd get in an argument, and I had this go-to verse. 
This is like ace in the hole, baby. This is like, you're not submitting? Oh, I got a verse for you, honey. We need to have some devotions. Sit next to me. Your spiritual leader. Would you read this portion of scripture for me? Dumbest thing I've ever done. Don't do it. And I would say, but God's word says, you need to submit, so submit. She's like, oh yeah, frying pan to face, submit that, you know? And it just never works. It doesn't work, all right? And some of us, we feel like that. We feel like, well, well, I'm the leader of this family, so I'm just going to throw my power down and just kind of stop at our foot and, and raising the decibel levels a little bit. It really doesn't do a whole lot. But yet we're kind of prone to go back to that. But what if we as husbands or wives or people in some authority, we cared more about the purpose we're about than the position? That we said the purpose is what's calling us to something. That the purpose, it doesn't matter where I am in the hierarchy of the church, whether or not I'm, I'm this usher, whether or not I got this title, whether or not I got to sing, or whether or not I'm changing diapers. It doesn't matter the position. It's all about the purpose that I'm fulfilling. And what if you said in your family, it doesn't matter if I have to submit to my husband. It doesn't matter if I have to submit to my wife, which husbands, that's a good thing to do as well if you want unity in the home. It doesn't matter who I'm submitting to because my purpose ultimately is greater. My purpose is bigger. And so I can, because of the sake of the purpose, you've heard it said like this, because of the greater good, I'll become the servant of all. I'll lead like that. And if you want to study the life of Jesus, that's how he led. The Bible says, by Jesus' own words, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He had all power. Nobody could put him on that cross unless he let them put him on that cross. Nobody could beat him with the cat of nine tails unless he allowed it to happen. Because he had all power, folks. All power. You have some power. You have some position. You have it at work. You have it at home. You have it in the community. You have it places of influence. You have spheres, bubbles of influence. And you can walk around and you can be all about your position or you can be all about your purpose. And you and I do have a great purpose. You have a great purpose in your marriage to have the best marriage anybody would ever want. You have a great purpose and that's to have the best children that anybody could ever want and to raise them and to love them and to nurture them. You have a great purpose in your job and it's a great job. Whether you like the work or it's minimal, you've got a purpose there. You have a great purpose in this church. You have a great purpose in this city. You're not here by accident. So let's be all about our purpose because he cared more about his purpose but then notice this thirdly we've said that it's easy to act like a christian it's harder to react like a christian our reaction is who we are when we're not acting and thirdly the goal is not is to react without over reacting would you take your bible and i know we're, we're covering a lot of ground here chapter four notice in, in verse number four through verse number nine the bible says nehemiah prayed and here's his prayer you, you, if you'd like to know you can but i'll read it for you it says nehemiah heard the threats he heard what sanbiah and tobias and all the enemies wanted to do and he said this he said hear O our god for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders so built we the wall and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof for the people had a mind to work but it came to pass when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the uh, Ashdodites had heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped that they were very mad and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And I love verse 9. It says, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. You would think that would have stopped them. 
You thought you would think that they said, "Okay, we gotta, we gotta. Uh, they're coming to attack us. Okay, let's get armies, let's get soldiers, let's do this. We gotta freak out." You know, they didn't do that. They said, "Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God." They reacted without overreacting. I'm not going to get up here and say, "Hey, you need to just kind of be passive." about everything that happens to you. Somebody runs over your foot, something happens, just, just kind of just don't do anything. You need, y'all need to be like Mother Teresa and just kind of don't say anything, don't do anything. You're just a divine doormat. That's all you are. Just let people walk all over you. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to react, but we don't need to overreact. And the only possibility, and the only way we can do that is by being led of the Holy Spirit. When we know that, wait a minute, okay, Lord, help me to have the right reaction here. I need to react. I got to say something. I need to do something. But how can I do it without overdoing it? There are times when with our children, we do need to discipline them. But we'd all understand that there is an overreaction to that. There are times when, yes, in the husband-wife relationship, there are going to be moments where we are going to have to have some confrontation. And we're not going to use Ephesians 5. And we're not going to say submit. We're just going to have a good, legitimate adult conversation and say, look, this is what happened. There needs to be some confrontation. There needs to be a reaction but heaven help us to not overreact. Help us as a church to not overreact. Somebody took my seat. Somebody did this. Somebody had, no, let's not overreact. Let's react in a proper way, in a Christ-like way, but let's not overreact in the situation. And Nehemiah, how did he properly react? And I love what he did. And the Bible says in verse number nine that they set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bears of the burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And here, this is the passage where Nehemiah, and I'm, I'm hurting, he tells them that, hey, we're going to have half of the workforce is going to continue building the wall while the other half stands guard. I love how Nehemiah posted a guard. He said, I'm, I'm going to do something. We're going we're to do something. We're not going to overreact. We're not going to completely let the work stop. And some of you, when something bad happens, you just, I ain't making dinner. Oh, man, all this stuff I had to get on. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing anything at work. I'm just going to go home. I'm not, I'm not doing any more at school. I just quit. And some of us, that's our reaction. It's an overreaction, just to drop everything. Oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lock myself in my room. Don't overreact because I'm not going to do anything. They reacted. They didn't overreact. They didn't say, hey, everybody's got to stop so we can fight them. They said half of the workforce will stop. Half will post a guard. And I love the fact that he said we're going to post a guard. I think sometimes this leads a segue into some of us aren't posting a guard over our marriage, over our children. Uh, some of you are just blind to what your children are doing. Just, just blind. I, I appreciate the fact, and I am jealous that your children get the iPhone. I think that's awesome. But there's a whole world out there that you have no clue. And you're, you need to inspect that. You need to check into that. There is so much that they can access via the phone that you just, just be aware, parent. Post a guard on that. And if they get upset, you say, I bought the $600 thing. I can take the $600 thing, and I will have a nice phone. You bought the car. You can take the car. You gave them the clothes. You can take the clothes. I'm starting to sound like Bill Cosby here. You can, you know, you, there's, you have post the guard, all right? Don't just kind of say, well, I can't do anything. You're the parent. You can post a guard on your marriage. You say, what do you mean? Well, I just, you know, I just kind of like to go and I, I, I work. I just kind of like to go hang out with some of the secretaries and there's nothing going on. We just like to go out and hang out afterward. Post a guard. That's not wise. Post a guard. Say, there's, there's, some, there's some things I don't do. There's some things I wouldn't do. At our church, we don't have an office. Nobody comes like visits. But my wife knows that if I do have a counseling appointment, it's never with a female by themselves and me. 
You say, why? Are you just like against that? Are you like chauvinist? No, I'm just smart. Just don't want anybody to accuse me of anything. It's just smart. And if we are going to have a meeting, usually my wife will come with me. Because why? Protection. I'm going to post a guard. I'm going to post that guard that, hey, my wife, we're strong. Post that guard. That was all free, by the way. I should charge you for that, but that was free. But here's the meat of the message. Here's the meat. We got we to go. I'm, I'm holding you guys too long. In chapter 3, I noticed some characters that just, they just popped up. They're building the wall. They're building on the wall. And I mentioned this guy in verse number 14. The Bible says, uh, chapter 3, but the dung gate, the, the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Reshab, the ruler, a part of beth Kerem. He built it. And I want to finish this message by this. I said it's the most encouraging message you've never heard because some of you, that's you. You. I want to be kind in church, but you just feel like you got all this dung around your life. You're just like, man, I got kids, and it just seems like the mess never stops. I clean it up, and as soon as I get done cleaning up the last room, they're right behind me, and it's all messed up again. Like, like I'm glad I could clean it up so you'd have a clean place to mess up, you know, children. Or you, as soon as you make a meal, it seems like you got to make another meal. And as soon as you wash the clothes, you got to wash more clothes. And as soon as you get the work done at the office, the boss piles on more work. And as soon as you seem like you're getting ahead in your grades, it seems like you're falling behind. Because some of you feel like you're all alone and you feel like, I got stuck with the dung gate? Really? Like, uh, me? Like, how did he draw the short stick on this one? But here's this guy that rest of scripture doesn't really get mentioned. He's got a different kind of name, Malchiah. It's kind of like Micaiah. I mean, it's just kind of dumb, you know? Like, what's the deal with this dude? And here, this guy took a job that, honestly, when everybody said, hey, who wants to build the gates? And then Malchiah, I think, got late. He came late to the meeting. That's what happened. It had to have happened. There was no way that he got there on time and just kind of, no, he showed up late and everybody's like, yeah, you get the leftovers. Oh, what's left? You got the Dungate, man. Oh, man, no, no. That's, that's kind of what he got stuck with. But the Bible says he built it. He built it. All the rest of the passage, you'll see all the people that helped. But this guy just went ahead and did it. He just did it. I want to say this to you right now, and please hear me out. Right now, some of you are in this room feeling like I'm in that dip. I feel like God has overlooked me. I don't feel like, I feel like I'm not getting picked. I feel like life has passed me by. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you are doing better than you think. You're doing better than you think. Here's this guy. Nobody really knows him. He's just building his gate. And without him, this wall doesn't go up. This city isn't fortified. You can't have one section not done. But this guy just said, hey, it's a job nobody else wanted. It's a job that I'm going to do by myself. And he did it. And some of you, you feel like that this morning. You feel like I'm a failure. I'm a failure in my marriage. I'm a failure with my parenting. I'm a failure at my job. I am a big, fat F failure. That's just me. And I'm here to tell you, you're doing better than you think. Mom, you're doing better than you think with those kids. By fact that they are not dead, you're doing a great job. I'm telling you, we've all been tempted. By the fact, and, and this is great advice. I heard one pastor say, we were talking about marriage. And he, I was like, hey, what, how do you have a good marriage? And he was like, go home. And I was like, what do you mean go home? Just go home. Even though you don't feel like going home, just keep showing up. 
Just keep going back home. That's how you give marriage. I was like, that's not real deep. It's not like, hey, once a month, take her flowers. Once a month, take her. He's like, just keep showing up. Some of you, by the very fact that you just keep going back to your wife, you have a better marriage than you think. Because there's a whole lot of husbands, there's a whole lot of spouses that just said, forget this. I got Facebook. I found the old boyfriend. They're single too. I could just go back to that. You are doing better than you think. Hey, spiritually, you're thinking, man, I didn't read my Bible every day this week. I'll we run it a couple times, and last year I was supposed to go through, you know, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and I made it to Genesis chapter 2, and I, I just missed everything else, and it took me a whole year, and I just didn't do very well. You did more than the person that didn't read anything. You did more. Hey, you said I was supposed to work out every day, and I haven't been to the gym in two weeks. You know what? But at least you went, and at least this week you're going to say I'm going to hit it again, because you're doing better than you think. This guy, Melchiah, the Bible says he's a ruler. He's a ruler, and he's got the dungate. He's got the position, but he cares more about the purpose. Oh, Christian, that's a word for us this morning, that God has got a great purpose for us, and we're doing far better than we think, because you and I, we can't see it. Does anybody know the name of Will and Morrow Graham? Anybody know that name? Will and Morrow Graham. I didn't expect so. They uh, had a dairy farm in South Carolina. Average parents, just trying to make it by, they had a lot of kids. And one day they went to a tent revival where an evangelist by the name of Ham, the evangelist Ham was his last name, I can't remember his first name, but it's Ham. And they called it these old tent revivals, and they would put sawdust in between the little wooden benches. This is back in the early 1900s. And they had these sawdust, and they they called it the sawdust trail where people would go forward. And we don't necessarily do that here, but they would go forward and make a decision to give their life to Christ. Well, Will and Morrow's son went forward. His name was also Will. Most of you know him as Billy Graham. You know, Will and Morrow didn't know that they were raising a great evangelist that in the early part of our nation's history led thousands to the Lord. And I know we wouldn't agree with everything Billy Graham did. And I'm not writing to say, man, he's the greatest Christian ever lived. But I am writing to say he did far more than his parents ever could possibly dream that their son would do. And your children may do far more than you ever imagined by the very fact that you didn't leave and you didn't walk out on them. By the very fact you just said, I'm going to stay and I'm going to keep doing it because I'm doing better than I think. Not only that, you're doing better than you think. You matter more than you realize. It's been said, to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you're the world. And you really are. You're building the wall. You're putting your brick. You're putting up your gate. You're doing your part. You're showing up. You're giving your part in the offering. You're showing up and you're passing out your bulletin. You're showing up. And yes, you are in the nursery changing that diaper. And hopefully it's not Austin's and we juice and the colon cleansing stuff. It's not good. And so I uh, just thought I'd throw that out there and uh, uh, just feel my sympathy here. And maybe you're in children's ministry and you're working hard and you're just thinking, I'm just putting up my brick and nobody notices me. But I'm telling you, you matter more more than you realize. Malchiah, you matter more because without you, this gate doesn't get up. And without you, the enemy can come in. And without you, mom, and without you, dad, your family struggles, your marriage struggles, your church struggles, your community struggles. We are seeing the moral decay of a nation because we're seeing family units disintegrate. More than anything, we need strong marriages. We need strong families more than anything. We need you guys. 
Thank you for the two people that believe that. I'm, I'm glad I got a church full of two people that believe that it's strong marriages. That's good. All right. The next week, it's a marriage seminar, okay? I'm changing everything because that's what we've got to work on. You see, you matter more than you realize. But lastly, let me end with this. It's not all about you, though. You say, wait a minute. You just told me I matter a whole lot more than I realized. You just said, I'm doing better than I realized. Yeah, but it's not all about you. You see, the wall, everybody had their part, their section. And this church, it's not all about you. It's about something bigger, much bigger. The Bible says that Christ is the pillar and ground of truth, that he is the foundation of the church. It's all about him. And we've got to come back to Nehemiah. He came back to, it was all about God. And this is, I'm going to close on this point. I've taken up a lot of your time. And so Nehemiah, he had to trust in one thing. That was the sufficiency of Christ. He didn't have the ability. He had to trust Christ to help get the job done. And when I use that word sufficiency, I choose my words very, very carefully. Because there's a writer, his name was Paul. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He preached the gospel. He was a, a, a Jewish scholar and Pharisee and a wise person. And he wrote something in the Bible. And this is what he said. He said, we're not sufficient of ourselves. And I would agree, I'm not sufficient. I'm not sufficient to go out and lead the family I want the way I want to lead them. I'm not sufficient to lead my marriage the way I want to. I'm not sufficient to lead this church the way I want to. I'm not sufficient. But Paul didn't stop there. He goes on and he writes some more in chapter 12. And he said, but his grace is sufficient. And I love that thing, sufficient, because sufficient means this. It means enough. It means the right amount. Not too much, not too little, the right amount. This bottle holds eight ounces. Right now I've drunk some, and so it doesn't have a full eight ounces. It's meant to hold eight ounces. Not nine, not ten, but eight ounces. And when it's filled, it's sufficient, it's full. You see, Nehemiah, when he built the wall, he knew it wasn't of himself. He knew that God was sufficient. And he knew that God was going to give him the ability. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not sufficient of yourself, but God in his grace will give you the sufficiency. Somebody bought a Rolls Royce uh, Phantom 3, and he wanted to know the horsepower of his Rolls Royce. So he went back to the dealership, and he said, hey, I have this Rolls Royce, and I love the car. It's beautiful. It's the Phantom 3, and it's a wonderful car, and I like it, but I'm going to go on this trip, and I just want to know, what's the horsepower of my Rolls Royce? And the salesman said one word. He said, sufficient. And he said, wait a minute. No, no, I want to I know what's the horsepower. And literally... In the owner's manual of Rolls-Royce for the Phantom 3, you go to the horsepower, and it literally said, sufficient. That's God with your life. He said, you're looking at the situation thinking, oh, there's no way. And God's saying, you're sufficient. You're sufficient. That marriage, you may feel like, oh, I, don't, I can't do this. And these kids, I can't raise them. This church, I can't do anything here. I can't, I can't, I can't. And God said, no, no, I am sufficient in you. You do have what it takes. You're doing far better than you realize. Can we all stand for a word of prayer?